Welcome to Max and Murphy on WBAI Radio. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Jarrett Murphy is on vacation this week, as he announced last week when I was out, and he manned the show on his own. And I'm here this week, but I'm not alone. I'm here with Gotham Gazette senior reporter Summer Kershid. Thanks for being here. And hey, nice to be here. Uh, so it's great to have you for uh, your first time with us on WBAI. Uh, if you haven't seen the work that Summer does for us at Gotham Gazette, you should obviously be reading his work, uh, just great reporting on city and state politics and government. It's good to have him here. So for today's show, we're actually doing something a little bit different than we've done the last several weeks on this show where we've had a lot of candidates for office. We're going to get back to that format Next week, we have some candidates coming on next week and the following before the September 13th primary. And if you're not ready to vote, you got to get ready to vote. You can uh, obviously check out all our work at GothamGazette.com. You should look at CityLimits.org and lots of other publications and broadcasts for information as we gear up for those primaries. And it's, of course, worth noting that just about every primary that's happening is in the Democratic side, although there is... Uh, the Reform Party is allowing unaffiliated voters to vote in their primaries, and they have a primary for attorney general. So if you are registered to vote but not with a party, you can actually show up at the polls on September 13th and vote in the Reform Party uh, primary for attorney general. Uh, but most of the races are on the Democratic side, and we'll return to some of those next week. But this week, you have both myself and Summer talking about some of the recent news in the Uh, election season here as we're closely following the statewide Democratic primaries for governor, lieutenant governor, and attorney general, and then a whole bunch of state legislative races headlined by these races where former members of the state Senate Independent Democratic Conference are being challenged in the primaries. And of course, on this program, we've had a few sets of those candidates, and we'll be getting back to that next week. Today, we're talking about those races, and we're also going to be joined very shortly by Mara Gay of the New York Times Editorial Board, and Mara will join us to discuss both the editorial board's recent endorsement of Zephyr Teachout in the attorney general primary, uh, as well as her take on what's happening in the gubernatorial race and the race for lieutenant governor. If you missed our last couple of shows, like I said, we've dug into both a number of those state senate primaries, and we've had all four Democrats running for attorney general on the program in the last several weeks, so you can catch those in our podcast stream or the WBAA archives. Before we bring Mara on, Summer is here, and we're going to talk just a little bit about uh, a forum last night that I co-moderated where Summer came, and he covered it, and we talked with gubernatorial candidate Cynthia Nixon. It was a forum in Brooklyn in Sunset Park. Uh, Governor Cuomo was invited, but he declined to participate. And uh, myself and Medina Torre from Political New York asked Cynthia Nixon a whole bunch of questions in front of a couple hundred people. And Summer was there, uh, wrote about it for Gotham Gazette. But what were a couple of your takeaways from seeing Cynthia Nixon in person taking our questions there in Brooklyn? So um, Cynthia Nixon sort of started with her stump speech, pitching herself as the Albany outsider who would come in and shake up the system that's been that's been just hasn't changed in the last eight years, almost eight years under Governor Cuomo. And that's been sort of her entire campaign as an insurgent running on a, a very unabashedly progressive platform, calling herself accepting the moniker of um, democratic socialist. And, uh, and that's sort of the pitch that she uh, made to nearly 300 people in this forum yesterday. 
Um, there was a couple of very interesting things that she said, especially when she was pushed on on some of her answers on. For instance, she said she's not seeking the endorsement. She's not actively seeking the endorsement of Governor uh, of Mayor Bill de Blasio, who has been one of her. Uh, who, she's been a very prominent ally of the mayor. She campaigned for him. She corralled um, celebrity support for his initiatives. She was on stage. She helped him get elected in 2013. Yeah. No she question was, about she it. She was on stage yeah. for both his inaugurations. Right on the stage. Yes, yeah. at City Hall. And 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 the mayor has been sort of um, on the fence. He hasn't made clear if he's going to make an endorsement yet. And um, that's been a bit surprising to everyone who's seen how close they are, especially with the recently released emails between the yep. two. Um, so, the, I mean, there's some interesting questions there, right? One is, does she really want his endorsement? I have to think if she really wanted it, he would probably give it to her. That's that's my general sense. Although, obviously, when push comes to shove in politics, if he doesn't think she really has a chance, maybe he doesn't want to risk further alienated the governor. I don't know if that's possible. <laughs> right. But um, I don't, I'm not sure what the calculation is there. I haven't really right. tried to talk to you know people inside the campaign that closely about this issue. But that's a little bit of my general sense is that maybe she just doesn't want it. It could be. And, and people have sort of speculated that, again, that the, the mayor doesn't want to anger the governor anymore. Um, he, they've famously feuded for the last several years. And, and the, the governor's taken every opportunity he can to sort of um, dig into the mayor on every policy and hold hold stuff like mayoral control of schools, which came up yesterday in yesterday's forum, as sort of leverage over the mayor. Um, and speaking of mayoral control uh, and school policies and desegregation, that's one of the one of the areas where Nixon, when she was speaking yesterday, um, while she was criticizing Cuomo on nearly everything, which we've come to expect by now. She also took a few, made a few comments that could be seen as disparaging or at least critical of the mayor. She pushed him to follow through on his school desegregation plan in five of the specialized high schools that he controls. She said uh, she's strongly behind congestion pricing, which the mayor has not fully supported. And she also said that, you know, broken windows policing is one of those... um, is not the root of the problem behind inequities in the criminal justice system, yeah. but is one of, one of the factors that's exacerbated it. Um, and lastly, I, ju- I do want to add, and we're about to bring Mara Gay on from the New York Times editorial board, as I mentioned at the top of the show. But lastly, I wanted to mention one of the most fascinating things I thought is her was her answer about the mayor seems to be moving on some of these plans to build more market rate housing on vacant NYCHA land right. to bring in revenue for NYCHA. NYCHA needs over $30 billion to get into a state of good repair. Really a number that's almost unfathomable to figure out even over, let's say, a 10-year period how you even really get to $30 billion without some radical solutions. And it seems like the mayor's coming around to being a bit more radical and bold, not I'm not endorsing any, you know, potential path there necessarily, but it, they have to figure out new solutions to bring in revenue, whether that's more federal funding, more state funding, et cetera. But there needs to be more revenue for NYCHA. Right. And she shot down that idea of market rate housing right. on very, NYCHA very land. Very directly. She yes. said she said building that, market rate housing on public land is a disaster. Is a disaster. Which, you know. Yeah. So so that that was very interesting. A, a bunch of you know, we shouldn't get too lost in the Nixon de Blasio no. conversation, but it's very interesting, especially since she's campaigning so hard in New York City, mm-hmm. and that's where so many of the votes are in a Democratic primary. Okay, we are going to bring Mara Gay of the New York Times editorial board on the line. Mara, thank you for joining us on WBAI. How are you? 
Hi, Ben. Thanks for having me. I'm well. How are you? Good, thanks. And we're also here with Summer Krasheed from Gotham Gazette. Hey, Mara. Hi. So, how are you doing? Um, we wanted to talk with you in part just to get your general sense of some of these statewide Democratic primaries, the gubernatorial race, uh, the race for lieutenant governor, and the attorney general race, and maybe just sort of broadly what's you know going on in the Democratic Party. But why don't we start with this attorney general primary, since your editorial board recently uh, came out behind Zephyr Teachout in the primary. Will you give listeners and give us just a little sense of um, how, how you guys got to that decision and, and why you made it? Sure. You know, I think that uh, a lot of people feel like government in Washington and in Albany is pretty broken. Um, we certainly feel that way, um, and I know I do. And, you know, one of the ways to combat that, if you care about good government um, and about a government that really actually solves the big problems that we're talking about, from public housing to affordable housing to the subways, um, is to really participate in um, state elections and local elections. And one of the most important offices is the state AG um, and that race. And so what we really were looking for was someone who was uh, going to be a very strong legal mind and then someone who also is fiercely independent, um, not just of the governor, um, but also of Wall Street, um, of uh, corporations, of the real estate industry, um, which has really outsized influence on our election. And we found all those things in, in um, you know, as effort teach out. And so that's that's why we came out so strongly uh, in favor of her. And how do you see the the dynamics of the race there? It's a four way contest uh, on this program and the the podcast that Jared Murphy and I do. We've talked to all four of the Democratic candidates in the last couple months. Um, four very interesting, talented, uh, well regarded in, yeah. in many ways candidates. What's your sort of sense of the of the race at this point? The polling. Whether I don't, I, well, I'm interested in your take on the polling as well. How much you buy into into the public polls yeah. we're seeing, but the polling certainly certainly shows that public advocate Letitia James seems to have a bit of an early advantage. But there's many many voters who don't know where they're going to land. Yeah, I mean, sure, a few things. I think one thing is that state primary races in September um, tend to be things that are decided in the last two weeks after everyone is back to school, back from vacation, um, has plugged back in. And so I think there's a lot of room um, in all of these races for candidates to, you know, surge or, or not um, and really kind of eke out a victory here. So I think it's a little early. The other thing is that, um, you know, I think the, the answer really for me seems to lie in who shows up to the polls. I mean, I think that we have big questions about whether New Yorkers are being polled properly in the state. I mean, if you look at uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's win, that was not uh, something that pollsters saw coming um, until very, very late in the game. And polls do tend to favor more traditional um, and more reliably voting Democrats, older Democrats. And so the question becomes whether, you know, all of the energy that is so, so focused on Donald Trump uh, in blue states like New York, because there is so much anger and concern, and, and rightly so, whether all of that is going to translate to more people and new and different voters at the polls in state and local elections. And if that's the case, I believe you're going to see um, some surprises 
on September 13th. And you might see some of the newer candidates, less established candidates uh, like Zephyr Teachout uh, do better. And on that note, you know, last night I co-moderated a forum in Brooklyn with uh, Cynthia Nixon. Governor Cuomo was invited. He decided not to participate. Um, And that was one point that Nixon made when we asked her about the state of the race was that there's hundreds of thousands of new voters that have registered in New York. Many of them are spurred by Bernie Sanders and, you know, uh, anti-Trump sentiment, as you mentioned. And she thinks she's going to capture a lot of those voters. And the polls aren't necessarily capturing those voters at this point. So, you know, she even called it herself a narrow path to victory, but said she has one. And it seems like if those voters are coming out for her, as you noted, many might uh, come out for for teach out as well. Is that the type of energy? Do you think that energy is really going to translate within these um, statewide Democratic primaries when there's so much sort of, uh, quote unquote, establishment backing of candidates like Governor Cuomo and even Tish James in the in the AG race? How do you sort of think about those two perhaps countervailing forces? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the million dollar question for for all of us. And and as you know, and both of you know very well, I mean, those of us who are journalists and have covered state and local politics for um, some time now, uh, I think that that is the ultimate question as to whether or not that energy is going to translate to uh, more voters being engaged in local elections. But but I I do think that. I think it's real. I just don't know if it's going to translate to electoral victories. I mean, this is (laughs) – we haven't actually seen a lot of uh, campaigning going on in New York. So I'm a little skeptical. You know, we haven't – we have seen Andrew Cuomo um, kind of turn to his war chest and and put some commercials on air. But you really haven't seen folks out in the street the way that you might if there there was um, a huge surge of energy. At the same time, I think we might we might be in for some surprises on election day. You know, one of the things that that I've thought about is the fact that you can really, if you're a new candidate in a in a smaller race, uh, again turning to, to Congress, for example, not just Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, but also um, Adam Bunkadeko, um in Brooklyn, who almost won, but Yvette Clark, Congresswoman Yvette Clark, just barely. Um, held on to her seat in in that Brooklyn district. You know, you can really outwork your opponent in those races, I believe. Um, I don't know that that's the case with the larger statewide races because it costs so much more money to run um, and to compete. That's a great point, and that's why... You know, we're looking at all, of course, these state Senate races, many, you know, the competitive primaries on the Democratic side, many of them that deal with former members of the Independent Democratic Conference. And that's one of those questions in those races is, can some of these upstart challengers do what you just said that Ocasio-Cortez and Bunkadeco did to different degrees of success, of course? And and there's a degree of, um, uh, you know, campaigning has changed so much it's you know almost in four years now uh, especially a lot of these upstart challengers are very focused on reaching younger voters who tend to be more progressive and using social media to their advantage Ocasio-Cortez did it with her viral campaign video and every a lot of these other candidates are doing the same and yes, think, we've seen Alessandra Biagi, yeah. Zellner Myrie in these state right. Senate races try to put forth these ads to to do something similar right I do wonder right if we're, yeah go ahead Mara mm-hmm. 
No, I actually, I just wanted to say, I think that there is, and I don't know what the universe is, um, a pollster might know better than, than me, but after seeing Ocasio-Cortez and um, Bunkadeco's turnout, I actually believe that there is a substantial number of voters in New York City who are high information uh, voters who routinely participate in federal elections, who are extremely um, activated because of Donald Trump, and who they're up for grabs. And I think that's actually what we saw in those two races in the federal primary this spring. And I'm very curious, you know, whether or not the candidates in these statewide races can actually capture those voters or motivate them to vote in in local and state elections is is a different question. But these are highly educated voters who um, just haven't been participating in state elections. And we've certainly that's my hunch. Right. So we've certainly seen that the awareness, let's say, of the IDC has grown exponentially. There's all these groups that are organized just around, you know, taking on these former IDC members. I don't know if that's hundreds. I don't know if that gets into the thousands. I don't know how that plays out in specific districts. And of course, the candidates matter as well. But like you said, I think I think there is a heightened, heightened awareness of politics and local elections uh, in the in the wake of Donald Trump's election. Right. I mean, it just the hundreds of thousands of voters that registered in the last two years, that's a sort of an indication, especially after um, what happened with Bernie Sanders in, in the primary. Um, people found People found that they weren't paying attention enough, and, and then they couldn't vote. Then they couldn't vote, and now they were now they're sort of registration. signing right. up in droves. Um, the mayor is also making some attempts to improve voter registration and turnout. Um, we'll have we'll see come primary day how that you know how what that hap- what happens because New York tends to be a low voter turnout rate, um, state. So. Absolutely. And that's where, you know, as Mara was saying, the the whether people can really capture that energy. And I think there also is a difference. And Mara, tell us what you think about this. There is a difference, I think, in voters' willingness to take chances on legislative races versus something like a gubernatorial race. I mean, that's just my instinct a little bit. I, I kind of get that sense. Maybe maybe I'm being too influenced by the polls of the Cuomo-Nixon race. I'm not sure. But I think in some of these local legislative races, uh, the anti-incumbent sentiment might be a little stronger than in a statewide executive office. But again, that could just be me, uh, you know, in the way I'm you, interpreting you, No, I think, I think you could be right. I mean, look, New York is a a liberal state, but it's not a extremely liberal state and it's not a radical state. And so we have tended to uh, be, you know, we're two to one Democratic state that has a penchant for electing Republican voters or excuse me, Republican governors and sometimes mayors. Right. Um, so I don't think that's too far off. I do think that one of the things that has helped um, kind of drive the awareness of local politics is we have kind of this, this twofer where you have Donald Trump and and Washington on one side, and then you have the everyday reality of New Yorkers who are, uh, it's it's the two biggest issues in the city and in the state. People are being driven out of their homes because it's too expensive to live here and the cost of housing is skyrocketing. And then just the transportation uh, reality and the subway kind of collapsing downstate that really I think has kind of led people to think, well, this is this is no longer sustainable. Something is broken. We have all of this money. The city's never been doing better. The state's never been doing better financially. And yet 
uh, our subway is literally falling apart. And, and, and so where is that money going? Right. Yeah. And no, and it's absolutely a key question as to whether, you know, Cynthia Nixon has done thus far and will do before primary day to sort of harness that frustration on both those fronts. I think you hit the nail on the head there on housing and on the MTA, especially obviously downstate. And that's where so many of the votes come in a Democratic primary. So, Mara, we have you for just another minute. Um, Just tell us and tell listeners just a little bit about your process as an editorial board. Um, You've interviewed, I assume you interviewed the attorney general candidates to get your endorsement there. You made a fairly early endorsement there. Um, should we expect that you're also talking to the Democratic candidates for governor and lieutenant governor and, and thinking about where you're going to come down there? So you guys will have to stay tuned on that. But I will <laughs> say that whenever whenever we endorse in a race, we have always interviewed um, the major candidates in the race. In this case, we did interview um, all four. And, um, you know, we are always looking for the best candidate. Um, and hap- I think this is really great because uh, I, I think that, you know, I want people to, uh, I want to be as transparent as possible about how we do what we do, not just as an editorial board, but as journalists. I think um, there's a lot of, you know, uh, misunderstanding about the way we work and so, and where we're coming from. So I'm, I'm so glad that you, uh, you know, gave me the chance to Come on and talk about it a little bit. Well, I very much appreciate uh, you joining us. Maybe we'll have you pop back on another time. And and uh, folks listening, just while we still have Mara on the line, you know, Mara fairly recently joined the New York Times editorial board and has been, you know, contributing with the editorial board generally, but also writing some columns under her own byline. And so you should uh, find everything she's written if you haven't read it yet and and certainly soak soak all that up, as you can tell uh, from what she said on our airwaves here. Um, She's got lots of interesting insights and we barely scratched the surface with her. Mara, thank you. Thank you for the time. And we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Good luck, everyone. Thanks. Thanks. So that was Mara Gay from the New York Times editorial board. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. I'm joined here by Summer Krasheed from Gotham Gazette. And we're going to take a couple calls from you if you're out there and you have interesting things to say about the election season upon us. We've got a few minutes here to open up the phone lines. If you want to reach Summer and myself, you can call 347-335-0818. That's 347-335-0818. And after we talk to a few callers, uh, we are actually going to move into a conversation that Jared Murphy had. He's uh, the co-host of Max and Murphy. He's out of town this week, but he recently had a conversation with Dr. Christina Greer, uh, of Fordham University, who is a just really, really sharp mind about local, state, federal politics. Um, and they had a really interesting conversation recently about 10 years since Barack Obama's nomination for president, race, politics, the current atmosphere in the country. So we're going to play you that conversation uh, later on in the show. But right now we've got a couple minutes to take your calls. If you want to reach us, we're at 347-335-0818. So uh, before we get to any calls, Summer, let's talk a little bit more about the race for governor, the race for lieutenant governor. We haven't really touched on the, the race for lieutenant governor yet. What you know? What's the latest that you're thinking about there? We're going to see Kathy Hochul, Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul, and City Council Member Jamani Williams. We're going to see them debate next week. Right. Um, well, you know, Jamani 
Williams just appeared on New York One um, yesterday for a debate that Kathy Hochul had agreed to, but decided not to show up. That's, um, I don't know why they did that. You know, the same day the governor didn't show up for a forum with his opponent. Um, you know, right. The, she had said previously on New York One, I'm right. happy to debate on New York One. And then, and then it's not, you know, she had, didn't not show up day of, but she right. declined to, right. to right. participate. Right. Yes, yes. Right. Uh, and, you know, Jamani Williams, um, and he he's obviously at a disadvantage in terms of, um, you know, the powers of incumbency are powerful. Kathy Hochul has that name recognition. Um, she has a record as lieutenant governor, and she has the backing of the state party and the governor. Um, Jemani Williams has an uphill battle, but it's it's people think it's going to be close because he uh, he has a stronger sort of he resonates strongly with the Democratic primary electorate, which tends to be you know. Uh, women of color, um, African Americans, Latino, New York City, <laughs> New York City, yeah, and and you know Kathy Hochul's from upstate. She's had, um, they both had some uh, sort of sense of controversy in the past. You know, she used to be aligned with the NRA, um, and Jamani Williams has um, sort of certain conservative personal views on social issues such as um, same sex marriage and abortion. They both have had some very interesting right. shifts in in stances, right. and it's hard to tell exactly what's political expedience and what's truly sort of you know a change in how they think about an issue, uh, whether they're reflecting a certain constituency or their upbringing, et cetera. So yeah, right. there, there's very interesting dynamics in that debate. And Jamani Williams is represents part of Brooklyn. There's a million plus Democratic voters in Brooklyn alone. Right. So right. Kathy Hochul has recognized that. We've written about that, about how she's trying to capture some of those Brooklyn votes. Yeah, that's that's a she's been you know campaigning hard in at at black churches and in communities, um, and so it's it's a really tough one to call at this point. I'd say that you know people think that Jamani can pull it off. I, I, I mean, it seems every indication is that he has a shot. Right. Um, and I'm excited. I'm going to moderate that debate next week, so I'm very excited to get a chance to ask them questions. It might be the only real debate that they have, so uh, we're looking forward to that. So let's go to a call here. Uh, you're on the line on WBAI. Who's this, and uh, what's your oh, question? Oh, hi. hi. Yes, this is Jan from uh, East Village. Hi, Jan. Uh, hi, Jan. Yeah, I, I um, had one comment. Cynthia Nixon was speaking at a forum that BAI held uh, a few weeks ago, I guess, and I'm a little disappointed when she gave a rundown of her highest priorities. She, she mentioned quite a few, but she had to be asked by someone in the audience how she felt about single-payer uh, health care, the New York health bill. And she said she favored it, but I was disappointed that she had to be asked by someone to speak about that. Apparently, it is not one of her highest priorities. And uh, I understand your guest said that for New Yorkers, mostly it's the cost of housing and the transportation system. But for me, item number one has been for years, really, single payer, because um, no matter what kind of health insurance you have or don't have, um, I, to paraphrase someone running for office some time ago, the cost of health care is just too damn high. So I'll, I'll hang up and listen to any comments you might have. Thank you, Jen. Well, um, uh, so there was a lot of stuff talked about at yesterday's forum, but Cynthia Nixon came out very strongly in in, uh, in favor of single payer. She closed out her argument with it, saying that it's only if Albany gets some change in leadership, if on, it's only if like people are willing to take those risks and new and and bet on candidates like her that single payer is going to happen because she's she's fully in support of it. 
and and she's she, she says yeah yeah no it's it's that's interesting that at a certain forum she did not proactively mention it because last at last night's forum I remember her absolutely bringing it up right, without prompting right. from myself or right. Medina um, and so she certainly seems to be campaigning on that perhaps right. it's something she's campaigning on more and more as she's seen that the Democratic base that she's trying to tap into right. is in favor of it um, but that's interesting that she didn't mention it uh, Jen at the the forum you were either attending or watching. And, uh, you know, we know that she's been talking about it a bit on the campaign trail. Right. So we're going to leave our discussion for now on the election cycle, but we're obviously going to pick it up in future weeks. You should uh, stay tuned, of course, for the rest of the conversation this week, but also know that next week when we get back to having candidates on, next week's guests right now are lined up to be State Senator Jose Peralta of Queens and his challenger, Jessica Ramos. That's one of those races with a former IDC member and a challenger. Summer, thank you for the time today and the thoughts and all the work you're doing at Gotham Gazette.